thank you for joining us on VLGA Connect and a special edition of the program today. I'm delighted to have joining me Auntie Geraldine Atkinson, who's co-chair of the First People's Assembly. Geraldine, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely to have you here. We thought it would be good to speak with you perhaps a couple of times as the First People's Assembly process uh, runs its course, but uh, to establish what it's all about, firstly, and to tell us what you've been working on since it started. So now you're a co-chair. Do you want to tell us a bit about who else is involved? We have a male and a female co-chair. That was that was decided, the establishment of uh, the Assembly. So Marcus Stewart is a, is a Tanarong man uh, from northeast Victoria. Uh, so he's the other co-chair. Uh, both he and I were elected at uh, our first assembly meeting in December uh, 2019 to this position. Well, congratulations on that. Just take us back a step before then. What? Uh, how did the First People's Assembly come about and what's the idea behind it? Well, I have to go back sort of a couple of years, so about to about 2016 perhaps. The Aboriginal community were called to a meeting with the Premier of Victoria, Daniel Andrews, in 20, about 2016. And... Um, what his, his proposal was that he it was, he would look at self-determination for Aboriginal people. So the request was made of him at that meeting. It was a whole, there was, you know, sort of about probably nearly um, 50 Aboriginal leaders in the room at the time. And one of the things that people had, had suggested was that perhaps we could have a treaty in Victoria. After that, there were several forums that were community forums which were held um, <clears throat> with the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs and how we would progress towards a treaty and what community had thought about having a treaty, uh, what that would look like and how, how uh, we could then uh, develop the work for that. So we were able to do that, uh, as I said, meeting with uh, Aboriginal representatives throughout the whole of Victoria and the community. So uh, a working group was established to, to put together um, the process and what would, would the establishment of such a thing would look like. So. The working group, and I was on the working group as well, and uh, we reported to uh, the, because there's an expressions of interest and Aboriginal people had to apply. And then there was a, you know, about 15 of us um, that were, I, I guess, selected because yes. it was a selection process. And um, so we worked, we worked towards that and we established during that period of time over those couple of years what was called the Victorian Treaty Authority, uh, Treaty Aboriginal Commission. And Jill Gallagher, uh, who was the uh, CEO of uh, Batche, Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisations, was uh, selected as, as the commissioner for Victoria. So there was a special act of, that they had to go to the Governor-General for, you know, those sorts of things to be approved, mm -hmm. and that's what happened. So she held a lot of forums then throughout with the, along with the working group. And what was decided out of all of that, it was a whole, you know, a couple of years uh, discussion with the Aboriginal community is that a First Peoples Assembly or Victoria would be established. So that's what did, did occur. Uh, we, it was an, uh, uh, an election process. There was um, an electoral role that was, that was established just for that process with the Aboriginal community. So it didn't involve, uh, you know, having to go on Australian Electoral Commission's roles, but a, but a specific role for this purpose. So out of that, 31 traditional owners um, were elected to First Peoples Assembly. Out of that, 10 were um, 
represented by their traditional owner groups, which is the registered Aboriginal parties. And I mentioned Marcus Stewart being the Tamarong representative, so 10 of those. And the other um, 21 were uh, elected uh, by poll in their regions. So it was divided up into, into um, I think, five regions. Yes, five regions. And uh, three, um, three elected members from those areas, okay, were, were then elected onto the assembly. So a very thorough process. Must have felt like it was taking quite some time, but that gets you through to December 2019, as I understand it. And so the assembly's up and running. What's been the focus of the work since that time? Well, it was it was because I, I have to go back a bit and, and tell you about the legislation which had been passed by the Parliament of Victoria. So in right. both houses. So it's um, the first peoples of assembly. Um, and I'm just going to try advancing the treaty process with Aboriginal Victorians Act 2018. So that was when that was passed in mid 2018, and that kind of enshrines. Uh, the process for the role of the assembly. So, with the role of the assembly, we had within the act there were specific uh, work streams that we were tasked with uh, completing by uh, 2022. So, the first one was we had to we had to establish a, the treaty what a treaty authority would look like, and that's like uh, the umpire who would then be able to negotiate between uh, Aboriginal community. In the Victorian government about what would be uh, acceptable within treaties. Mm. But prior to that, the first thing we had to do was we had to, um, to establish a dispute resolution process. So if there were going to be any disputes that there would be, um, that process put in place and we would have, you know, experts that would be mediators and we had to, um, and that's been established, and what we had to agree with the state, who we thought, the, you know, sort of a, um, a list of mediators that what that would include. So uh, very prominent people and people that were, you know, sort of that are highly uh, skilled in that area. So we've done that and we've signed off on that with the government about how the dispute resolution process will take place. We've also worked on then how we establish in the treaty authorities, same thing is that we would have, you know, they would be the umpire and who those mediators would be and then what the process would then involve about the treaty authority. But that won't be finalised until later. The other work stream was instigating uh, a negotiation framework. So what we, ha what we have to do, and this is a, a big piece of work, it's, and it's going to take sort of quite a... It'll take a longer process than the others because it's about talking to Aboriginal community and talking to government about what is actually on the table uh, in relation to treaties? What we will be able to stand up and what we can't stand up and what, we, what the community wants and what the community doesn't want. So that's within the negotiation framework. We decided at, a, at one of our first assembly chamber meetings, that's the old 31 of the elected members, decided that we would have a statewide treaty and localised treaties. Right. So within our framework, we have to establish what they look like, what they're going to look like and what they will entail and uh, how we get, you know, the best outcomes for the Victorian Aboriginal community because we have processes already in place uh, across the state with our, um, our Aboriginal-controlled organisations who have been working, you know, within Aboriginal affairs and working for Aboriginal communities for over a period of 40 years. 
So their processes that are in place and they've developed, and I mentioned uh, Jill Gallagher and Show, how they work, that's one of those uh, community controlled statewide organisations and we have several of those. So we have to take into consideration, you know, sort of the work that they've done and now we encompass that within our statewide treaties. Right. And what we would do. So we want to enhance what we have within those statewide organisations, those community controlled organisations, enhancing and getting, you know, uh, bigger, better deals, how we will ensure that appropriate funding is given to those organisations to, to uh, do, you know, sort of their service delivery, developing better policies and practices, putting in place really good strategies that are going to uh, progress the Aboriginal communities. So you've, you've sort of answered my next question, which was really to get to uh, the difference between the statewide and the localised treaties. And, and it makes sense, obviously, localised needs can be focused on more closely in the localised treaties. This concept of treaty, though, Geraldine, for the uninitiated, you've mentioned that it, 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 it can be a mechanism that can lead to the, to the flowing of, of funding in the right areas. It's more than that, though, isn't it, the concept of treaty? Why is it so important? I, I guess that one of the things about really being about, uh, that we see about treaty is the recognition that there are First Nations peoples in this state and that First Nations peoples really hold a prominent place. And what we want is about, it's, it's more about benefiting the Aboriginal community, but creating an awareness with the wider community about firstly how and what exists in Aboriginal communities, our Aboriginal communities operate, uh, our Aboriginal communities have their own cultural, our, you know, sort of how those sorts of things are. So it's creating an awareness in the wider community as well about the position we hold within this state. Recognition and awareness so important in leading to understanding and acceptance. Yes. So in terms of where local government fits into this, do you see councils playing a role at that localised treaty phase? And I know we're not there yet, but have you given some thought to how local government can be part of this? I think that it's really important for local government to be included in this space with us within treaty work. Because when you look at what happens within local government areas and uh, you think about you know, sort of the programs that are there and a whole, there are a whole range of things that local government does. But it's also about acknowledging those traditional owners where those local governments are situated. So it's about the recognition of, and I mentioned the Tanarong, I mentioned uh, where I am in northeast Victoria, we have Bangarang, but we also have uh, our registered Aboriginal party, which is your Yorta Nations. So it's about knowing, it's about getting... Up, uh, an acknowledgement and acceptance that you mentioned before of that, how those Aboriginal communities operate and how, as traditional owners, they operate and how what they do is looking at, at not, not just things like because the registered Aboriginal parties look at, you know, sort of cultural heritage and the protection of those sites and a whole range of other things as well that occurs. But it's also about, about the programs that are being offered by local government uh, working with the Aboriginal community in how they better see the delivery of those programs to those Aboriginal communities. Have you thought yet about how, if and how you want to engage with councils? Will it be on a collective basis or will it be individually or is it just too soon to say? No, it's not too soon to say. I think it is collectively. I think that what we need to do is we need to start the conversation just as we're having now. We need to start the conversation collectively. So the collectively local governments are aware 
And then what we need to do, because we have representatives in regions and they're in areas for, you know, sort of they're big areas of local, gov big local government areas, it's also working individually as well. So that, I think that's really important. And it's about building relationships because relationships are really important. It's about having those conversations when you build those relationships about how best we can interact and work together, uh, you know, sort of for those things that I, I'd outlined earlier about that. And, and, you know, I'm sorry about keep, keep coming back to you about that, you know, sort of the, the acceptance and the awareness but it's also it's also more than that, acceptance and awareness. It's a, it's about those. It's really important that you you meet uh, face to face with people on the ground in a building better relationships. That I think, and and the more that we our assembly members interact with uh, local government, uh, the better we can do in building you know sort of really good firm relationships. And when it comes to negotiating treaties at the local level. What sort of life cycle does the legislation envisage for the Assembly? In other words, how long do you expect it to be around for? Is it a finite project or is it an ongoing process? It's ongoing. We see it as, as ongoing. We see it, and I, and I must, I must uh, state here that it's probably not my generation that's going to, to see treaties take place, really. I think it's a process and it's going to be probably a long process and it has to be a well thought out process and it has to be really developed uh, really well so that it does stand the test of time. And it'll be, it'll probably be not even my children's uh, generation, but our grandchildren's and their, their children's. So it's something that we're looking at the longer term and then it'll be ongoing. And that what we'll see is, you know, when we think about, and I just wanted to say, when we think about, you know, and I don't know what, our population, we're 3% of the population nationally. So in Victoria, we're even smaller than that. But what we have, what we have the highest rates of, you know, highest rates of um, poverty, in, incarceration rates, children being taken into out-of-home care, there are all of those, um, all of those things that, that still occur in Aboriginal community. Uh, when you look at, and, and you can look at, and your members can look at sort of, you know, sort of uh, closing the gap nationally, what they're trying to do with things like education, health, uh, homelessness, a whole range of those issues that we do have, um, unfortunately, you know, a high percentage of Aboriginal people that are still uh, facing deficits in those areas. Yeah. So it's about how, how um, we, we work within a, a treaty process and about building those relationships so that we do get the better outcomes, that we do lift, we narrow that gap and we lift the lifestyles of Aboriginal communities, particularly at local levels. Uh, Geraldine, would it be fair to say that we're in a period now, it's, it certainly seems from my perspective that we've got a government that's really been focused on furthering discussions in this area. You've got the Assembly, you've got the, all the traditional owner engagement work that's, that's happening. Um, are we at a real turning point, do you think, in furthering the, as we keep saying, the understanding, the acceptance, the recognition, the awareness of these issues? I think we are. I think there, there's, a, there's a, a real appetite in community, in the broader community, for uh, an acceptance of these, about wanting to, to work with Aboriginal communities, about, you know, sort of looking at the plight of the Aboriginal communities in the past and into present day. 
one of one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, I guess, in relation to that, is one of the things that we we've, we've been really pleased about being able to get with uh, an agreement with government on a truth-telling process, which is an inquiry like a, a commission. It has the same powers of the Royal Commission. And we've chosen a, an Aboriginal uh, word for our, <coughs> for our Royal Commission or inquiry. It's called Truth and Justice Commission. And what we're looking at is it's about looking at um, what happened since colonisation, looking at, you know, sort of the massacres that have occurred on country, uh, looking at at, you know, sort of the process of what's happened when people were placed on missions and about, you know, uh, you know, we've always said that it was a, the Aboriginal community has always said it was a, a form of genocide because it was, there were those, mm. those um, <clears throat> laws that controlled Aboriginal lives. You, you weren't allowed, if once you left, you weren't allowed back and a whole range of other, other mm. uh, laws that were passed in relation to Aboriginal people. So the, this uh, justice Commission is going to look at, at those issues. So the past, but not only at the past, but right up until the present. So we're going to be looking at those systemic issues that I talked about earlier that impact on all those social issues that I've mentioned in relation to health, housing, education, justice, and uh, in particular with children being still taken into out-of-home care. So it'll be looking at, at you know, sort of so it'll, it'll be wide. It has a lifespan. Uh, we'll get a report by the First, within the first 12 months from the Commission, the Assembly will, and about how it's going to occur. Uh, the Commission is going to be, we were able to, within our terms of reference, negotiating with government, when we, we, we designed the terms of reference in partnership with government, uh, those are actually in place with uh, the Governor-General at the moment for, for her to look at. So the terms of reference wanted us to be able to uh, hold those hearings out on country so it will be in local government areas out in regions right. so that's going to they'll, they'll occur there we want the commission to be established by july this year right. and we've had a short time frame to put that into place but we it's you know sort of there are things like we had to get it to cabinet and cabinet approval yeah. and then we had so about funding cycles and those sorts of things so we had to really get it in place so at the moment we've uh, shortlisted a list of candidates for commissioners. So we've that's that's that process is is occurring at, at the moment. That's shortlisted and they'll be in they'll be then shortlisted again and we'll have five commissioners. Uh, so we've got some really good candidates. We've got you know uh, retired high court judges, um, people that are have that have been judges, so the retired yeah. judges, as well as Aboriginal community people that are eldest been community and they've worked all their lives in Aboriginal affairs in community. So a whole range, some really good candidates. So by July, we're hoping that will be stood up and then those um, the inquiries will then start to occur throughout the state. Okay, so it's all happening. And then I think you said within 12 months of it starting, uh, it will report back to the Assembly. So it's really starting to move. Geraldine, we're probably going to leave it there. I've got the feeling that we've got a number of potential conversations we can have here. So as this rolls out, uh, open invitation for you to come and speak with us some more about the different stages on the VLGA Connect been great speaking with you thank you very much for speaking to me and as you said there is so much more that i could have told you but as i said we've, we've got a short time frame i will save some for next time thank you very much for having me great to speak with you that's auntie geraldine atkinson co-chair of the first people's assembly filling us in 
on what the Assembly is all about, what it's been working on to date. And as you've heard, there's so much more to come and we'll keep you informed as that all occurs here on VLGA Connect. Thanks for your coming.